Welcome back to Behind the Crime. I'm Ella Calora. I'm Rebecca Wood, and this is our sixth episode? Yeah, sixth episode. That's crazy. Yeah. It's been two and a half months then? Yeah, it hasn't seemed like that long, but yeah. Yeah, that's because it was over winter break, I think. If you haven't listened to our first five episodes, you should totally go do that. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, literally anywhere you listen to your podcast. Mm -hmm. Whatever Um, you're listening through right now, just go back to the other episodes. They're all there. That's your catchphrase. What is? Because I'll list them off and then you're always like, where you're listening right now. Because I think it's silly. Okay. I think you're silly. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Follow us on Instagram, too. At behind underscore the crime. You know, I said it correctly the other day. But you weren't recording. No, I wasn't recording. I was in my room. But I did successfully say it, so (laughs) I can do it, guys. She just won't. Yeah. When we're (laughs) recording. I don't know why. All right. um, I'm going first this week. Oh, the lights just just turned off. off. We're in a room, they're, the they're motion censored, so even <laughs> if you turn them on, they will turn off like after, I don't even know, it seems like only 10 minutes. Yeah. So if they go off again, we'll let you guys know. All right, so I'm going first this week. I'll let you. Yep. Did we mention it's Valentine's themed this episode? I don't remember, but we're mentioning it now. It's Valentine's Day. Well, when you're listening to this, if you listen to it the day it comes out, it should be the day after Valentine's Day. So we thought we'd go with the theme of the holiday. Yeah, but, you know, a a bit of a dark twist because this is a crime podcast. Obviously, it's not a highlight of the holiday, but I do think it's important to remember. The reason I think it's important to do episodes like this is because it's important to remember that even during a happy time, like during Christmas or during your birthday, like things can happen. So it's mm-hmm. still important to be aware and conscious and not just to get bogged down with the fact that it's a holiday and like it's supposed to be a happy time of year. Yeah. Because things can still go wrong. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going first this week. Mm-hmm. My case is probably the shortest case that I have ever done or will ever do. But it's just sometimes I like to do less crazy cases or less well-known cases because I think that it's important to remember that there are like millions, billions, like countless numbers of crimes that occur every single year. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of them may seem small and insignificant, but not a single one is. So even though on podcasts people tend to try to pick like the crazier ones with the conspiracy theories or the unsolved ones because it leaves you wondering Mm -hmm. it's still important to cover cases that are solved and are just simpler in a way yeah I don't um, know if simpler is the word that I want to use but because you know, stories, someone's story doesn't deserve to be told over another person's story. Exactly. And I don't know about you, but I had never heard of my case that I'm going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important because we're also learning about new cases. Yes. That if we haven't heard of them, it's likely that they're not very popular because I feel like we've heard of more of the 
popular cases. Yeah, exactly. And, so. like, there's still people who are important to talk about, you know? Yeah. So, that being said, my case occurred February 14th, 2021. So, pretty recent. The victim's name is Mitchell Bewley, and he was shot to death on February 14th, 2021, four times mm-hmm. by his estranged wife, Daniela Bewley. She is 30 years old. They lived in Quarryville, PA, and this all happened in the parking lot of a PNC bank around 5.30 p.m. She lured him there and waited for him to get there and then shot him five times to the torso. And the county coroner actually testified that any of the shots would have been fatal, so it was definitely overkill. Mm -hmm. Um, Witnesses reported hearing one shot and then a few seconds of silence and then a rapid succession of four more shots or three more shots sorry so after she shot her estranged husband Mitchell she went back to her house and on her way back she called her an ex-boyfriend I do not have a name for him he has stayed anonymous And she told him that she had just shot Mitchell four times Mm -hmm. and she was heading back to her house to kill herself. Her exact words were, I just put four bullets in my husband and I'm heading back to my house to put one more in my head. So her ex-boyfriend called the police The police went to her house, and after a one-hour standoff with her, she was finally arrested. At the trial, witnesses testified that she had made prior threats to her husband's life. One friend said that Danielle went to her house to get the gun and there's a video surveillance camera of Danielle doing so. She went to her house, grabbed the gun, and then left to go to the PNC bank. She also, a friend test- another friend testified that she showed the gun to her over a FaceTime call right before the shooting happened. And Danielle had also made multiple calls to friends and family after she shot her husband. And they all said that she she said he got what he deserved. Oh, wow. Yeah. So not remorseful at all. Oh, can I ask a question? So they were estranged, right? Yes. But they weren't officially divorced? No. Do we know what he did in her eyes? No, that is still unknown. Because to say he got what he deserved, what did he do to deserve that? You know, not that he does deserve it, even if she did have a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, what does she think he did? Um. That was bad enough for her to think killing not, him was justified. She would not say. To me, that makes me think she didn't really have a have anything to say. 
No, she doesn't. Her defense was that her she wasn't mentally stable at the time. And when she was trying to get the charges dropped to third degree, she claimed that she killed him in self-defense, which was not true. You, She grabbed the gun before meeting him. She asked him to meet him there. There was no... There's no evidence of self-defense. It yeah. was all premeditated. She called, like, people after and was not remorseful about it at all. She called multiple friends and family members to tell them that she had done this. When she showed the one friend the gun on FaceTime, was that before or after killing him? That was after the shooting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they so they tried to get the charges dropped from first degree to third degree, and she claimed that she did it in self-defense. She claimed that she f- was fearing for her life, but she never told any of her friends, family members, or even police that she was scared for her life. In questioning, when police asked her about it, she never once mentioned that she was afraid of him or, you know, did it in self-defense. Yeah. That was all brought up at the trial randomly. She never she never mentioned it at all, so that was all dismissed. That was probably a move by her lawyer. Yeah. But even, I don't know how he, her lawyer would think that would work, you know? Yeah, because there's, there's video surveillance camera of her getting the gun from her house, and... The coroner reported that any of the shots would have been fatal, so more than likely after the first shot, he was on the ground and there was no... If, if it was self-defense, she wouldn't have shot five bullets, yeah. or four bullets, sorry, unless he was still standing. Chances are he was not. And she also called after and told multiple friends and family members. So she was not remorseful at all. She was found guilty in December, and she was sentenced to life without parole. December of 2022? Yes. Sorry. No, you're good. December of 2022. So I just, like I said, this case is pretty straightforward. I just think that for Mitchell's family, this case did not get a lot of coverage. I only found a couple articles on it. Like, you, you know when you go on YouTube and you look up famous cases and, like, a bunch of videos come up? It was all just, like, you know, 30-second news clip reports, mm-hmm. and that's why I wanted to do it because cases like these that aren't covered will more than likely never be covered because people don't find them as interesting, but that's not the reason why you should look into them. Yeah, that's not. So, that's my case. That's As I was listening, I noticed a couple similarities to my case, actually. Do we always do this? I know. You'll see when I get to them, but there are a couple similarities. Yeah. So, you asked why she did it. She never gave a reason. My guess is that since this was on Valentine's yeah. Day I was gonna ask and that they next. were estranged, I'm assuming that she just was feeling 
that was her trigger kind of yeah like that it being valentine's day and she had this husband but they were living apart and they obviously didn't love each did other did they have anymore. any kids or anything no i didn't find anything like that that's good though honestly you know what i mean because yeah. then you lose both your parents yeah so my guess is that it was just she snapped on valentine's day and mm -hmm. called him i wonder which one of them initiated the separation i don't know that's a good question like i said there's only a few yeah. articles on the case and it was all just about the night that it happened and then the trial and what she was sentenced to so yeah. there's not a lot of information i am glad though that they didn't lower it to third degree you know what i mean i'm yeah. glad that she got the actual sentencing she deserved yeah well it was clearly premeditated yeah so and she didn't show remorse at all so yeah that's crazy yeah but at least she got a sentencing that she deserves you yeah. know you she know. didn't get away yeah um my case isn't extremely long but it is a bit longer than that just because there's a lot that goes into it there's a lot of background yeah but i'm talking about the murder of ignacia manriquez ignacia manriquez and manuel navarro or juan manuel navarro sorry they met when they were 16, and by 1992, they had three children together and were living together in San Bernardino, California, but they mm -hmm. weren't married. They were just boyfriend and girlfriend. Then in 1993, Navarro decided to break, break up with Manriquez, and apparently it was very unexpected and sudden. But Manriquez remained civil and friendly with him because she wanted her children to have a relationship with their father. So basically, she did it for the sake of her children until Navarro decided that he wanted to get back together with her within the same year. But Manriquez refused to get back together, and he became very angry and jealous. Yeah. And then on February 14th, 1993, Manriquez and her kids were staying at a friend's house for the weekend in Highland, California, and Navarro followed them there. And one of the three children you know, who was one of his children, they let him in because they had no reason not to let him in. It was their dad. Yeah. So they saw him at the door and just let him in, even though obviously the mother did not want him there because he had become very angry. So Navarro, once in the house, confronted Manriquez, but she pulled out a restraining order from her handbag, and his response to it was, no piece of paper is going to keep me from you. Oh, boy. And then they continued arguing, and Manriquez tried to call the police, but Navarro forcefully took her phone out of her hand. Eventually, the altercation argument ended, but Navarro didn't leave. He just stayed there and watched. He didn't really do anything. He just stayed in the house. Then Manriquez and her sister, who was also there, left to go to a SWAT meet, and Navarro followed them. While they were there, their son, who was also named Juan after him, but they called him Juanito, he started to feel sick. He had ear pain and flu-like symptoms. Yeah. So Manriquez took four-year-old Juanito to Loma Linda University Medical Center. And the lights are out again. <laughs> and they don't turn off, like, when we start to, like, move our arms. They're not. They don't. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 
brief intermission. I don't know what is going on with the lights. Anyways. Oh, let me get my headphones back on. I'll wait. Oh, she'll wait, will she? All right. Anyways, now that our little interruption is taken care of. <laughs> so she, Manriquez took her son to the hospital, and Navarro, of course, since he was following them the whole day, followed them to the hospital and waited outside. When Manriquez and her son left the hospital, he confronted Manriquez and they started arguing. And an ambulance tech, I didn't find his name, but he witnessed the pair arguing and did speak to police about it later. They were next to Manriquez's truck, and while they argued, Juanito, their son, who was only four years old, got into the passenger side of the truck. But after a few minutes, when the arguing continued, he started walking over to his parents. As soon as he got to his parents, he heard gunshots go off. And Navarro shot Manriquez with a silver handgun, which is what Juanito testified, saying it was a silver handgun. Then he grabbed Juanito's hand and ran off. Manriquez's cause of death, death was multiple gunshots to the chest and head, and there was at least one shot that was fired after she was on the ground, so like your case, overkill. Oh, and the other similarity was it happened in a parking lot as well. Oh. The parking lot of the emergency room, I guess. So Juanito was driven to a restaurant with his father where his father, Navarro, made a call, and then another car came to pick him up. Then they brought him to a ranch, and Juanito knew nobody there, and there were parties every day. And he also said the adults treated him meanly. When he, he, this is what he said when he was four. Mm-hmm. So obviously he didn't really have the vocabulary to go into further detail. Yeah. But he was at the ranch for a few weeks until he was brought to the Coachella home of his grandparents, Ignacio Mar- Manriquez's parents. His two sisters, who were 7 and 11, were already with their grandparents because they gained custody of all three. Then when Juanito was given over to his grandparents, he was interviewed by the police, and he was quoted saying, ketchup is everywhere. Because he he didn't really understand what happened when he got out of the truck. Yeah, that's so sad. Yeah. I can't imagine, like, hearing him say that, you know? Yeah, that would be heartbreaking. I know. So, unfortunately, Navarro fled the country, but he was seen by police in Mexicali before going to Mexico, but they didn't pursue him. I'm not really sure why a reason wasn't given, but he made it across the border. But the police didn't give up on finding him. The deputy district attorney said, we don't forget, we will do what we have to do, and we will find you. And this was obviously directed at Navarro. In 2010, Navarro was tracked to Mexico and the FBI's Inland Regional Apprehension Team assisted local police in extraditing Navarro from Mexico City to L.A. So this is 17 years after the shooting that they finally have caught him. 17 years? Yeah, and it took another two for the trial to... Yeah. Oopsie, I hit the mic. (laughs) For the trial to be finalized. But just because he left the country, they couldn't get to him. Yeah. So he was finally in custody after 17 years on a warrant for kidnapping as well as murder because he kidnapped his son after. And then there was also obviously no bail. At the trial, Juanito is now 22, and he testified against his father. Wow. Mm -hmm. So he was how old when it happened? Four. 
24, and now he's 22, and he's finally testifying. Well, he's older than 22 now, but at the trial. Well, at the trial, yeah, yes. He was 22. That's, that's crazy. Um, Ignacia Manriquez's sister also testified because she was there that day when he was following them around. And then Navarro testified himself, and he deci- said that he decided on the day of the murder that he was going to kill himself before the murder, which is his explanation for why he had the gun. And he also says that he was unable to read English and that he never saw the restraining order. However, there's witnesses that, you know, her friend and her sister both saw her show it to him. And I'm sure she explained in Spanish what it was. Yeah. Even if he couldn't read English. And he was, you know, there were witnesses who heard him say, no piece of paper is going to keep me from you. That clearly means you understand what the paper is. Yeah. So he said he planned to kill himself in front of Manriquez. And that was why he had to follow her and why he didn't just kill himself sooner if that's really what he was going to do when he was questioned. Mm Mm-hmm. He was asked why he wanted to kill himself in front of her. And Navarro said, well, she was the one who did all this to me and didn't show me any respect. See, and really, it wasn't specifically about respect, but I wanted her to feel bad about my death. A translator was used during his testimony, and there was some debate over her translation of his because she made some stuff up. It was like the translator knew him personally. And she said oh. that she, like, interpreted some of his words. And the woman who kept the notes, the the clerk, mm-hmm. she said that she understood Spanish. Like, she wasn't a certified translator, but she basically said that he was speaking very quietly and nobody could really hear him. So they think that was kind of p- part of a ploy to... If he messed up or slipped up in his testimony, the translator could just change it, and then it sounds better than what he said. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that's unproven. So ultimately, Navarro, now in his 40s, was sentenced to 30 years for first-degree murder and kidnapping. And that was only finalized 19 af- years after Manriquez's death. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I forgot something somewhere, but while he was in Mexico... He married another woman and had another son. Like, that's how long he was gone. He was able to have a whole nother life. That's insane Mm -hmm. that they, it took that long that he was able to have a whole nother family. Yeah. But this all happened on Valentine's Day in 1993, which, again, like your case, may have been the trigger Mm -hmm. in his mind. Yeah. Even if, suppose he really was going to kill himself, he wasn't planning to shoot her, which he clearly was yeah it still could have been triggered by the fact that it was valentine's day and she wouldn't get back with him mm-hmm. and he was jealous of her it's not said anywhere that she he thought she had you know a new boyfriend or something mm-hmm. but it's kind of implied that he was jealous of her and like suspicious of her activity which would be why he was following her but you broke up with her mm-hmm. that's what i don't understand you are the one who ended the relationship And now you're blaming her, saying this is what she put me through. She didn't respect me. It's just crazy. Yeah, that makes, it makes no sense. I know. And the fact that he only got 30 years, 
Yeah. I mean, granted, that probably is a life sentence for somebody in their late 40s. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably 46 or 47 mm-hmm. at the time. But still. But still. Yeah. He not only murdered someone and had overkill along with it, and it was first-degree murder. Mm-hmm. He also kidnapped his son. Yeah. And left him at a random ranch and then fled the country. Exactly. And even when testifying on his own behalf, he said he blamed it on Manriquez as if it was her fault that mm-hmm. he killed her. Yeah. So it's just That's, weird to me. no remorse. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, there's no smooth way to end it, really. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed these cases, and hopefully, maybe you never heard of them, maybe you have. We'll post links to the articles we found. I actually have the clerk's notes during the case. Oh, that would be cool to post a yeah. link to those. And that'll all be on our Instagram, which is? At behind, no, under, <laughs> hang on, I got it. She's got it. At Behind underscore the crime. Yeah, there we go. Look at that. She did it, guys. I did it. She did it for you. So I hope this kind of encourages you guys to do some digging on lesser known cases because even though they're not popular, it doesn't mean they're not worth your time. It doesn't mean that they're not important. They're still important. These people are important and need to be remembered Mm -hmm. because who knows what they were going to do with their life, you know? Exactly. Before it was just taken from them for really no good reason. No case is more important than another one. Mm -hmm. So just remember that next time you're looking for or researching up any kind of crime or looking for a documentary to watch yeah watch one that's not as well known yeah there are a lot on youtube i would say that are more underground you know yeah but i watch a lot yeah so do that and follow us on instagram we'll post the links and be active yeah and we'll see you in two weeks bye bye